are listening to the Patriot Pastors Podcast, where we talk about today's issues from a pastor's perspective, as well as calling America back to the faith of our fathers. Pastors Wade Lentz and Harold Smith are your hosts, and now let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Patriot Pastors Podcast. My name is Harold Smith. I'm the pastor of Lee Creek Baptist Church, and it's always a thrill to be joined with my co-host, the bass singing preacher, pastor of the great Barrel Baptist Church in Valonia, Arkansas, Wade Lentz. How you doing? I'm doing good, Harold. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing good. If I could just dry out, it seems like it just rains constantly. It's almost like we live in the Amazon, the rainforest. It it has been crazy. We got more rain last night where we live, and uh, we are waterlogged for sure. Yeah, I, I have a, a swamp formerly known as my backyard, and I I know it's like the plagues. First, we're plagued with rain, then be uh, plagued with mosquitoes. That will be the next <laughs> plague that will come through because there's yes. there's just I live on a hill, but there's still there's so much water. There's nowhere for it to go. Right, and you were telling me yesterday that you uh, should have planted rice. Yes, the garden <laughs> the garden would make a great rice patty. <laughs> oh man, I know the feeling. It's you know it's hard growing a garden. I've done it for years, trying to you know deal with the elements, the weather. You know this this spring for us has been very cool, and it's been very very wet, and most of the gardens around here are very poor. And just not a great garden season at all. And about the time it's going to dry up, it's going to heat up. So, yeah, I, I this year I have I have not planned on making a garden, and I don't think I'll try. <laughs> I'll just borrow from from you. Well, I'll, I'll get. This will be the last garden advice I, I, I give. A traditional garden of plowing the ground in in wet years, it's just almost impossible. Yeah. But what I what I do have here is I have some raised beds, and I don't have to get in there with a tiller and turn them over. You know, if if it's soppy, wet, I can still walk around the edges of them. You know, and so if I didn't have raised beds, uh, I wouldn't have anything doing well. I do have a traditional garden, and I bet if I stepped in there, I'd sink to my knees. I'd I'd look like I was in a quicksand or something in an old movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. One of the things about the Patriot Pastors podcast is that we can talk about some uh, news issues, some things going on in the world, and then also talk about some theological, ecclesiastical issues as well. But what's going on in the world today, really the, the biggest headlines in the world today is Israel and Hamas and the all the bombings and, and so forth. What, what's your thoughts on on that? Oh, I, I've seen it, and I think anybody, I, I don't really watch the news per se, and, you know, we take a lot of criticism because we have the word patriot in our podcast name, but I saw somebody on Twitter today had said, you know, being a Christian and being, you know, pro-America doesn't make you a wacko. It just means you have working gray matter in your brain. I mean, yeah. just opposing Marxism doesn't mean you're a wacko. It means that you have some common sense. And I think anybody, even if you're like me and you don't watch the news on a regular basis, you've heard about what's going on in Israel. I mean, it, it, it's going to find its way in. And, right. and you and I would both agree, we think a healthy 
strong Israel is better for the world. Mm-hmm. We think America ought to be, you know, the ally and friend of Israel. And neither one of us want to see Israel overran with Islamic terrorism. And with that being said, there is also within uh, modern-day evangelical Christianity a whole spectrum of Jewish-Israeli wacko religion. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen churches where their pulpits were literally draped in a Jewish flag. Sure. You ever sure. seen that, Wade? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy. It, it gets to the point to where it's almost like the pastor or the church is worshiping Israel more than Christ himself. And that that's a uh, a horrible horrible thing. Uh, well, it's so th- prevalent, especially here in the in the South. Yeah, the Bible Belt is is it reeks of it. But I saw a clip. Um, it was this past week on Twitter. Oh, one of those satire sites like IFB Sermon Clips or somebody had a preacher, and I'm not familiar with the guy. I'm sure if I was in that circle, he would be a household name, but. He said uh, every. He said people say America's not in the Bible. He said that's not true. He said everything's in the Bible, and he said um, America is in the heart of the Bible. And he put the word Jerusalem up, and in the middle of the the words for Jerusalem, he circles U S A the letters U S A. Oh my! And he, <laughs> he goes on to say that Jerusalem is uh, the the capital of Israel and where the Lord's coming back. I don't disagree with that. But then he says America is in the heart of Jerusalem, and I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> that kind of wackiness just blows my mind, and that, that Americans fall for that really just I cease to be amazed. Yeah, I know, and, and that's the thing that troubles me is, is seeing so many Facebook posts or tweets about uh, from pastors and or, or different Christians who say something like this, well, the Lord will never allow Israel to be defeated. Uh, He is their protector. And I want to say, yeah, but have you ever read the Old Testament? Did you ever, why, why, why don't you Google 70 AD? What happened then? So it's happened in the past and we do not need to be so dogmatic about what the Lord is going to do. We don't know the Lord's plans. Yeah. And uh, there would be a lot of disappointed pastors wake up in depression if Israel was overtaken. That, that's well, a very unhealthy, unhealthy view. Anytime, anytime you're interpreting Scripture with a newspaper open, you're opening yourself up for trouble. Yeah. Because if the newspaper seems to be going along with your eschatological chart that you've got draped across the baptistry, if the newspaper and the chart agree, you're in, you feel good about things. But then when when world happenings deviate from your you know planned uh, time frame, and and that's just we see that so much. It's just for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, it's just kooky acting. Yeah, Some of the right. stuff that goes on in churches and is passed off as as being the only biblical way for something to take place. Yeah, and what what's wild to me is, you know, thankfully there is a ceasefire. They have somehow come to sign some kind of a peace treaty. But what's wild to me is that the peace treaty came from Egypt. And I'm like, what did this guy say that made these two all, all of a sudden – put down the weapons. You know, I've always wondered, okay, what was promised? And I know uh, 
the United States had a, a say so in that as well. What was promised to put down these weapons? And this always seems wacky to me how easily a skirmish can happen and then how quickly it can stop and seemingly small things can stop it. But uh, anyway, we, you know, you hate to see children uh, killed in the rocket fires and all of that. And uh, we do pray for peace and as, as we should. But uh, so again, Patriot Pastors Podcast, we have the liberty to talk about such things as Israel and Hamas, but we also want to focus on pastoral things and church-related issues. The title of this particular episode is Repeat After Me, A Critical Look at the Sinner's Prayer. Very controversial issue, very controversial topic. It has been uh, the talk in the SBC circles for years. It was a, I remember in 2012, a particular resolution uh, that wanted to adopt the sinner's prayer as something that was affirmed by the convention. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, and for those listening who may not be aware of that topic, the sinner's prayer, can you give us a background as to what the sinner's prayer is? Sure. Let me, um, let me just start with my own background. That would be the easiest way, and then maybe people would understand where I'm coming from. I grew up, and uh, my dad was a missionary Baptist deacon. This is the American Baptist Association, the ABA. They're headquartered in Little Rock and in Texarkana. And so if you lived anywhere in Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, you're familiar with the Missionary Baptist Church. And a sinner's prayer was pretty much the stock way of evangelism. You told someone they were a sinner, you told them they needed to be saved, and when they said, what must I do to be saved, the answer was, repeat after me. And so then you would say something along the lines, and there's various versions of this. Number one, I admit I'm a sinner. I know Jesus is my Savior. I ask Jesus to save me. And so I've seen pastors get real flowery with this and, 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 and have you repeated in the King James Version. And that's what always tickled me is when you start sprinkling these and thous and yees in there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the people, you know, they would respond and they would repeat this prayer. Even Joel Osteen, you know, who we would both agree, probably one of the more liberal pastors in, 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 our, area, in our time, he would say, friend, if you prayed that simple prayer, we believe you got born again. And so therein lies the problem of the sinner's prayer. It's something that you're doing, and it's something that I grew up in the Missionary Baptist Church hearing when I was in the seventh grade. We went over to the First Baptist Church, which was a Southern Baptist Church, and uh, I did the rest of my, my teenage years in the Southern Baptist Church, and I saw the pastor, a very faithful man, lead person after person who walked an aisle in a sinner's prayer and pronounced them saved. As far as, this is my personal belief, so then when I became a pastor later on at the age of 31, I always had a problem with this repeat after me thing because on mission trips as a teenager, I basically twisted the arms of some some Mexicans to repeat after me. You know, I just told them, hey, you guys are going to go to hell if you don't repeat this prayer. And so, they were like, oh, okay. And so finally, after just browbeating them for 15 minutes, they were like, okay, 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 we'll, we'll pray the prayer. 
And they repeated after me. And of course, I got up off my knees and I was shouting. We had seen three people saved. They were getting up, still Roman Catholic, but they had prayed a prayer to get me off their back. Yeah. That bothered me. I looked back on that time as a 17, 16, 17 year old Southern Baptist boy in Mexico. And I thought, you know, I don't think those people really understood what they were doing. I think they were just trying to please me because I was being very persuasive. So I'm 31, I'm a pastor. I've just started preaching and I'm 31 and I'm struggling with, you know, people are coming down the aisle responding to my invitation and they're wanting to be saved. And I know that just simply repeating after me is not the answer, Mm -hmm. but that's all I've known. And so I began to look back, when did this start? Because Jesus never said, repeat after me. John the Baptist never said, repeat after me. Peter and Paul never said, repeat after me. There's no prescribed prayer. Mm-hmm. There, there is a command to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a command to, you know, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. But should I be putting those words in their mouth? And if I do, should I then be saying this person repeated after me? So as I looked back, I never really saw this practice until the mass even uh, evangelism crusades. We're talking about D.L. Moody kind of being the father of this. Uh, but he wouldn't do this. He would invite you to come down front. You'd be taken into a room and be counseled. I really had to go back and say, I think it was probably, and I'm not going to say he is the father of it, but he definitely popularized it. That would be Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. He would lead people in a prayer, something like Arrowhead Stadium. There'd be 50 or 60,000 people in there. He would say, you know, repeat this prayer. If you prayed that prayer, come down front. We want to talk to you about it. So we went from repeat after me, we want to talk to you about it, to if you prayed that prayer, raise your hand. If you raised your hand, you prayed the prayer, you got saved. So we started equating the the recital of a prayer as what the evidence of salvation. And that's why this needs to be a critical look at the sinner's prayer. What what did I miss in that long rambling, Wade? Well, actually, you know, your history is really close to my history. This is what I grew up in. I grew up, though, in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, I was part of the actual bride of Christ. (laughs) No, we were. We were ABA. (laughs) I left the bride. You you were the landmark Baptist. But, you know, I, I grew up in that mindset that, that's the way you led people to Christ. Repeat this prayer. And guess what? That's the way I entered into the ministry. And for many, many years in the ministry as a pastor, that is how I evangelized and how I counseled people who were dealing with this thing of salvation. And I would I would get to them and, and, and talk with them and just say, hey, if you'll just repeat after me, and mean it with all of your heart. If you are sincere, then the Lord saved you. You know, I really had no issues with it until, until I heard a message by Paul Washer. When I first heard the message, I thought, man, this guy is a heretic. You know, this guy is a fruitcake. I've never heard such things. The sinner's prayer is absolutely biblical. However, once I started looking there is, as you said, there is no mention of it whatsoever in the scripture. When Paul was preaching, uh, when Peter was preaching, he never told 
the people to whom he was preaching to, hey, just bow your head, close your eyes, and repeat after me. There's a reason for that. It's because that's not, it's not biblical. It's not right. You could, you can make a whole lot of people say that sinner's prayer, but then you're, you're emphasizing the prayer as the means of your salvation. And uh, so, therefore, anybody who prays this prayer, you can, you know, you're going to be saved. And that's just not biblical at all. Uh, what people want historically, I'm talking about in the history of mankind, what people have wanted was a task that they could perform and ensure their salvation. Whether that was lighting a candle, whether that was praying and counting your prayers on a bead or a string of beads whether that was spinning a prayer wheel, whether that was climbing to a mountain, whether that's visiting Mecca, whatever it is, people want this task. I mean, we got to think about Luther visiting Rome, Mm -hmm. seeking his salvation. So what evangelicals did in the last century is they said, oh, no, no, those are all works. If you're having to do something, that's a work. So this is not work. This is merely repeating after me. This is all of grace. And what I find interesting is that in the appeals for salvation, it is not, do you have a sense of your sinfulness? Do you have a sense of God's holiness? Do you realize that Jesus Christ is the only uh, sacrifice and gateway and, and path to salvation? It is, do you want to go to hell? Well, no, no, nobody wants to go to hell except maybe ACDC, and they're on a highway to hell. Everybody else doesn't want to go there. So if you don't want to go to hell, here's the solution. Here's Mm -hmm. the task. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to carve your name in an oak tree. You just simply have to repeat after me. And, And I always use the phrase, we've made it so easy a caveman could do it. Right. And Jesus never said it was going to be that way. He Mm -hmm. said it was all of grace. It was all God. I mean, but he didn't tell the rich young ruler, well, brother, if you want to be saved, you just bow your head and close your eyes. I've got this magical spell that I'm going to have you repeat, and it will change Mm -hmm. your life forever. Instead, he, he, he points the man to his real need. Jesus could see that man's heart. Wade, you and I cannot. Jesus knew that man was self-righteous, that rich young ruler. Mm -hmm. You and I do not know that. Do you realize how bad that we are leading people along just when they are interested in salvation or concerned for their soul? How many times have you and I as as pastors visited someone dying in the hospital? I did this just last week. It would have been real easy to say, sir, sir, just bow your head and pray this prayer after me, and if you pray it, you won't ever have to worry about going to hell again. There is no biblical grounds for that, none. No. That reminds me of a situation that happened here. It was last Sunday. I was preaching, and after the message, um, this is out in the foyer, a young lady comes to me and just in tears, in tears, and says, Brother Wade, I just don't know if I'm, if I'm saved. I just don't know. She's crying. What I would normally do in uh, that situation years ago, I would have said, now, listen, here's what you got to do. Let's nail it down. And here's how you nail it down. Just repeat this prayer. And if you are truly sincere, 
then the Lord will save you. And just nail it down. If you are saved, there's no harm in it. And if you're not saved, then God's going to save you. That's horrible. But that, Harold, is the way I used to handle those situations. And I know that I'm going to give an account concerning that. And I, and I, I really tremble at that thought because I have talked to people who have come into my office and said, I just don't know if I'm saved. Well, I said, well, just nail it down right here. Just nail it down. But, you know, that's the way I was taught. Yeah. However, they're, they're you know, regardless of, of, of the teaching of a person, each pastor, especially a pastor, he must search the scriptures himself and just not rely upon the traditions of men. And so finally, the, the Lord opened up my eyes to the dangers of having people repeat prayers. So well, it, it's, it's been a long journey. God, God has taken, taken his time, it's taken some time to bring me to this point now, and, um, but it's, I, it's where I'm at. I would say this. If your goal in ministry is numbers, whether it be baptisms or salvations, which, by the way, those, used, those numbers used to be one and the same. If you got saved, you got baptized. The fact that we now track baptisms separately from salvations, uh, it's not that baptism saves you. It's that we have a whole group of people who repeated the prayer but didn't have even the commitment to follow in the, the first command of a newborn believer. That ought to be a, a, a wake-up call. But I go back and say, if your goal, if your ministry objective is statistics, numbers, we want to we want to see people saved, we want to see them uh, on the church roll, if that's the case, the easiest way to obtain that is by a repeat-after-me style of evangelism, because it is so quick, it is so simple, you, you gave, your testimony there would have been my testimony there 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just settle that right now. Bow your head. Repeat this prayer. And somehow I was taught from, from example of my pastor and, and other men before me that you just, you just lead them in this prayer, and then everything's good. But the problem I run into is in Scripture you see people who obviously they didn't repeat after Paul or Peter who at, at, you know even made a known profession of faith of their own followed in baptism and they were still not genuinely saved they didn't lose mm-hmm. their salvation the bible is clear they never were saved john makes that clear they went yes. out from us because yes. they were never of us that's right so if you can make a real profession on your own and never be genuinely saved i'm going to give an account for 15 or 20 people that i led in a sinner's prayer that i couldn't find in 12 months mhm yes and so we've got to, the sinner's prayer, I'm not saying, and, and I think you and I would both agree, if you were led to repeat a sinner's prayer, that doesn't mean that you weren't saved because you repeated after someone. Right, right. You were ignorant, and you were yeah. being led in your ignorance by an ignorant leader who was probably just doing what he was instructed to do. Mm-hmm. But I think as pastors, as individual soul winners, as people that want to go out and communicate the gospel, we shouldn't be having the objective of, as Jack Hiles said, getting to, to close the deal. 
Jack Hiles style of evangelism, and he was a heavy proponent of the sinner's prayer. He's on record as saying, I learned these techniques as a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. We're not right. selling vacuum cleaners, Wade. Exactly. Well, let me tell you a, a quick story of what happened several years ago, and this was the tipping point for me. This is when I said, no more. Several years ago, we had a child evangelist come in, and we had a special children's day, like a Saturday. There were those inflatables and all kinds of things, hot dogs and Kool-Aid, all that. Well, at the end, this child evangelist taught the kids and eventually uh, shared the gospel with them. And here's what he said. Now, these are kids that are sixth grade down to first grade. And he says, how many of you want to uh, go to heaven when you die? Just about every kid raised their hand. Just like you said earlier, who doesn't want to go to heaven? So every kid just raises their hand nearly. He says, okay, if you want to go to heaven, then just bow your head and repeat after me. I'm guessing that there was probably 25 to 30 that raised their hand and prayed that prayer or said they prayed the prayer. And afterward, it was my job to try to counsel with them, to try to, de- to determine which one of these was genuine and which one of these were just raising their hand because their friend next to them was raising their hand. And I thought, my goodness, this is not my, this is not my calling. This is not what God's called me to do, to, to pick out which one is truly saved, which one truly meant it in their heart. And so that was the end of it. But you're right. We get so numbers oriented that we want to say on Facebook, or we want, we want to tweet, we had 30 young people get saved and called upon the Lord, and we want that. And, and to do that, then you have to manipulate Sure. And you have to coerce. And that is not a gospel invitation at all. That's now, sinful. And you make a good point. And the way I illustrate it, I guess I would say is this. When you tell everyone to repeat a prayer and you say, okay, if you prayed the prayer, you got saved. What you just did was you convinced all these people that they're eternally secure in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And now it's the pastor's job to unconvince them of that and to try to determine if they genuinely understood and meant that. Whereas with the biblical model of you preach the gospel and you allow the Spirit of God to work and you're not coercing, you're not putting literally words in their mouth, the only people that are approaching you at the end of that message are those who are like, everything you said applies to me, I'm in that state Now, what must I do? We've eliminated Mm -hmm. the heads bowed, eyes closed, repeat after me. We're now being confronted. So now let's answer this question. And I'll go first and let you think about it, just because I don't like springing stuff on you and and getting your your knee-jerk reaction. So we've, we've preached the gospel, and we've told people that Jesus Christ is the only substitute for sinners and that they must repent and believe the gospel, this message of Christ's sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection. 
and they must repent and believe that and confess it with their mouth to be saved, and we close the service, and then someone comes up to us, and they say, Brother Harold, everything you've said, you were talking directly to me. I believe, I, I, I'm a sinner. I, I have rebelled against God. I fully know that I do, not, I do not have salvation in Jesus Christ. What should I do? And I've just sat here and, and told you I'm not going to lead this person in a sinner's prayer. So what would I do? What should I do? Well, here's the, the, the safe answer. It's not a cut-and-dried, cookie-cutter answer. Each and every person is different. You have to take every case differently. Jesus didn't answer Nicodemus the same way he answered the rich young ruler, the same way he answered a Pharisee that came to him mockingly. So the answer would be on a case-by-case basis, but as a general rule, I allow that person to do talking, and I simply ask questions. Mm -hmm. What do you mean you're here? Why are you here? Oftentimes, it's not because they're a sinner. It's because they've sinned singular. Mm-hmm. There's something that has guilted them to coming down front. Right. And if we could just deal with the one sin, they won't have to pray the prayer. Yes. And so yes. I ask questions, why are you here? I integrate. And what I'm looking for in this interrogation is a genuine understanding of their sinful nature, that they are a mm-hmm. sinner, not, not that they've sinned, not that they stole from their mom or they got in trouble last week at school or that, you know, they're having an affair on their wife. All of those things lead to guilt that wants to be rid, but we're talking about an eternal salvation where you are not just committed to sin, but a sinner. So I deal with that, and if they confess that and they admit that and they seem to be heading in the right direction, why do you why do you want reconciliation with Jesus? And if it's, I want to go to heaven, I say, hey, we all do. Sure, you know, sure. what you need to be rid of is your sin debt. And so we deal with that, and I, I say, okay, then here's what you need to do. You need to, in light of what you know and you believe, you need to cry out to God for mercy. Yes. You need to ask forgiveness of God, and you need to confess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what you will see when you just tell people that who are genuinely understand their sinners, they genuinely believe that Jesus Christ is, is a Savior, they may never have prayed, sincerely prayed to God in their life. Mm -hmm. At that particular time, they will bow their heads, and you will be amazed at the theological correctness of their prayers without you coercing them or anything. They will confess themselves sinners. They will cry out to Jesus Christ as their only hope. Now, that doesn't mean because it's this great, wonderful theological prayer that they're saved. It's just that people that are under biblical conviction of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to put words in their mouth, simple right. words. Yes, The Holy Spirit will say for them and speak for them and stir them. And so if we allow them to do the confessing, then we just say, okay, well, now that you've prayed that you know, your prayer unto God, you've, you've approached him, what do you want to do? Well, I, I'm going to be baptized because that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. We don't have to coerce. These things come natural to those who are under conviction of the Holy Spirit. Agree or disagree? I agree 100%, and that's where I'm at as far as uh, dealing and counseling with uh, individuals who are, who are convicted of either their, their sin, singular, or uh, their unbelief in Jesus Christ. That's how I deal with them. Just like that young lady that came to me, she said to me, Brother Wade, I just don't know if I'm saved. Well, I took that as 
if you were truly unsaved, you would, you would have said to me, Brother Wade, I know I'm lost. I know I need to be saved. Just like Peter preaching in, in, at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he preached a scathing uh, message. And uh, after the message, um, he asked everybody to close their eyes and to bow their head. <laughs> no, not really. But after the message, they cried out, what must I do to be saved? Just like the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. And his response was, repent and believe. Yeah. Repent and believe. Salvation is a matter of the heart. And it is a working of the, the Holy Spirit that regenerates us. And the reason why we confess with our mouth is because we have first believed in our heart. Right. That that outward confession is something that is first has taken place inwardly in our heart. And um, so, yeah, when I am dealing with people, I would just tell them, hey, I'll walk you right through the scriptures. And when you come to that realization, you just call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible has promised that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're not saved by formalic prayers. We're saved by grace. Right. Confession is made outwardly, yes. Uh, but look at the prayer of Peter when he sunk and he was walking on water. He was doing great. He got his eyes off the Lord. And uh, he looked up, though, when he fell into the water and said, Lord, save me. Or we think about the publican. And the, and the Pharisee in the temple, Jesus told, told us about this. The Pharisee looked at the public in the center and said, Lord, uh, I thank thee that I'm not like this man. But the publican looked up and said, Lord, Lord, have mercy right. on me, a sinner. Right. That's, so where's the sinner's prayer at? There's, there's no formalic prayer. It's just, again, a matter of confession of faith that really originates from the Lord himself. And as a matter of fact, you take the salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. We don't have his recorded prayer. He just looks over at Philip and says, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Yeah. And so here's where we've gone wrong. And I, I guess I will kind of push it in this direction. We have... As, a, as Christianity at large, evangelical churches, whatever you want to call it, we've looked and said, okay, if you've said the prayer, you got saved. And that's wrong. It's wrong to say if you did something, some act, you're saved. Mm-hmm. The emphasis has always been, and the evidence of salvation is not in a confession. The, the, the proof of salvation is always in a changed life. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This doesn't mean that you're working to be saved. It means that you have a life that is in keeping with what you prayed, what you confessed. You have a life that is in keeping with the baptism that you acted out before the church. Those acts aren't worth saving you. It's not the prayer that's saving you. It's faith in the heart and repentance in the heart. Those two things, you're right, they ought to be audibly expressed. With the mouth, confession is made. So they, have, they can't just be hidden in the heart and never spoken. 
They must be confessed. They must come out of the mouth. But the only evidence we have that what came out of your mouth was true is that the evidence backs it up. Your mm-hmm. changed life. And that's true in everything. Have you ever had someone lie to you? Oh, yeah. Okay. How many people are lying to God when a preacher is sitting there on the 27th verse of just as I am after telling everybody that if they died tonight and got ran over by a train, they'd burn in hell? How much bigger is the pressure to get someone to say something that maybe they really don't believe if we feel like getting them to repeat this prayer is salvation? So yeah. the outcome, the, the long-term changed life is the evidence of a believer. And mm-hmm. getting away from a sinner's prayer is not going to eliminate false converts, right. but it's going to cut down on them drastically. You, won't, yes. you will not see the same number of souls saved. Because you weren't saving that many souls with the prayer anyways. But what you will see is less and less people falling away. And I'll give you an example. Just up the road from me is, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the name, Blessed Hope Baptist Church. I name names when I talk. These people go around and they do door-to-door soul winning. They go knock on doors. They lead people in a sinner's prayer. And then they get on Facebook and they boast that, 37 people got saved at vacation Bible school. 28 got saved when they were out on their bus route. And, I mean, I've done some quick math, and there's been years they've had upwards of 60 people that they have bragged on social media they've saved. The church still doesn't run 60 people. Mm-hmm. And they do that year after year after year. This church should be running four or 500 people. If those people were genuinely converted, they would genuinely want to meet with the, the saints. They would want to learn and grow in their faith. But the evidence is not there because the sinner's prayer is not salvation. Yes. And and that's why we're seeing a completely and totally different outcome. Yes. And that, that brings me to another thought is obviously a lot of reasons as to why churches or pastors do this is pragmatic reasons. The end justifies the means. For instance, we look at Billy Graham. You mentioned him earlier. Yeah. Were there genuine converts? Yes. I, I know some individuals who were converted at the Billy Graham crusade. So we can say, well, the end justifies the means. This is, you know, uh, several people have come to know Christ through this way. So what's the danger in this? Well, it goes back to what you said. The number then of false converts are much higher uh, what they would have been otherwise. And, um, and that's, that's dangerous. Uh, the person who thinks that they have already been saved, that they're good, the, the pastor told them this, or some counselor told them this, wow, uh, you have just blinded their hearts even more. Yeah, That is dangerous, dangerous. It, here's the other side of the coin, Wade. You and I are both Baptist, and I, you know our professions of faith believe that if someone is genuinely saved, they're eternally saved. And we're preaching what the doctrine of once saved, always saved. That is not the doctrine of once prayed, always saved. Right. And, you know, if an assembly of God wants to, wants to go around using the sinner's prayer, that's fine. When they get lost again, they'll pray it again. But our sermons are sitting here uh, uh, agreeing with the sovereignty of God and once saved, always saved. If God has done a marvelous work of grace in your heart, that work will not be thrown away. And then we have other Baptist churches who also affirm that doctrine, 
But then say, oh, but if you prayed this prayer, then then God's obligated to do this. And the sinner's prayer is just contrary to the evidence of a changed life. And if, if you if you employ the sinner's prayer to a large degree, you'll end up with 16, Southern, uh, 16 million Southern Baptists. You'll have about 3 million that show up. You'll have a denomination that doesn't know what they believe. And uh, you'll end up with a whole bunch of people that are on their deathbed, and we go and talk to them and say, are you saved because you've lived your entire life beating your wife? You're an alcoholic. You cheat on uh, everything. You're, you're a crook and a thief. Oh, yeah, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer, you know, at church camp when I was 10. And you're right. You create a not only a false convert, but you create a confident false convert. Right. By leading everyone in a sinner's prayer and pronouncing them saved. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel for the evangelist who um, feels so much pressure to have big numbers. For instance, if you are looking at a website of one particular uh, evangelist and, uh, and telling about how many people he's seen saved this year, and it's 500 but then you go to another person's bio and, and it talks about, well, we've, we've seen a handful that have trusted Christ. Well, which evangelist, if you are a pastor in the average church, if, which evangelist would you be more apt to invite? You're going to invite the guy that has the 500 professions this past year. And I feel sorry for the evangelist because that that is uh, something that is constantly a pressure on them and it should not be it should I, not be i don't feel sorry for them I, I pity them that they haven't repented of that i mean just as you and i started out on the wrong path and the lord not you know through various me, you know means whether hearing someone else preach on it like paul washer you know, just not being able to find it in the scriptures. Either way, the Spirit of God convicted you and I in our hearts, this is not the right way. If you're an evangelist and you're employing that tactic five times a week, mm-hmm. 50 weeks a year, and you're not convicted by it, what are you doing in a pulpit trying to educate other people? Right. I mean, I'm not saying that people who employ the sinner's prayer are lost, but if you're building your ministry on numbers, Mm-hmm. You're not building it on Scripture, and it no, goes back no. to that goal of numbers. If your goal is numbers, I don't think you have a biblical goal at the head of your ministry. Yeah, and what I meant by I feel for them, I'm, I'm speaking more of the faithful evangelist. Right. They're just preaching the Word, and but yet his he has those in that same ministry who are really touting their their numbers and so forth so that faithful evangelist needs to run around with some faithful pastors and preach in faithful churches and get out of those those circles where everything's geared on how many you got last year yes absolutely wow i cannot believe how quickly the time has has flown by talking about this subject and we we could talk a lot more on this subject for sure but listen as as a pastor to a pastor who is listening to me, I would encourage you, if this is your methodology, if this is your practice, please stop. Please stop and search the scriptures. Ask the Lord to to lead you and guide you. And and, uh, it's so easy to get caught up in the numbers and get caught up in the emotionalism of all this. 
but be be faithful to the Lord, be faithful to the scriptures. And I, I would encourage you to stop and uh, let the Lord do his work of converting. I agree. I think that's about all the time we have. I'm sure smarter men could say more than we have, but I think we've said enough. What do you think? I, I believe so. And we, we do pray that this is a help and a blessing to, to all of those who listen. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Patriot Pastors Podcast.